Hey everyone, welcome to the Green Scene Podcast. I'm Jeremy Safran. TGSP is the top global cannabis podcast. Everyone has questions and we'll cover the stories that matter and showcase the guests who make a difference. Hey guys, this week on TGSP, we are airing two interviews that we recorded at the Lyft conference in Vancouver, of course, in partnership with a show called THC Live. And the format will be the same as last week's show, all live to tape. So a little bit different than the typical way that we approach TGSP, but I think that you'll find this week's show very interesting. We have Chris Wagner on from Emerald, a well-known Canadian licensed producer. And Chris talks to us about his transition from the pharmaceutical and life sciences business into the cannabis business. Now, it's an interesting one indeed. And him and I will also be doing a tour of that facility, hopefully coming soon. And later on in the show, Dr. Ian Mitchell. Now, he's an ER doctor out of Kamloops, British Columbia, who's studying cannabis. And we talk about driving under the influence of cannabis and what that all means. It's a fascinating topic. Let's get it started. Here's Chris Wagner with Emerald Health Therapeutics. Thanks, Nikita. We're joined by Chris Wagner. Now, you have a fascinating story yourself, as well as the company that you're representing. First, let's talk about why you got into cannabis. Sure, yeah. It's, um, you know, I've spent 25 years in life sciences, in the pharmaceutical biotechnology end of things. And when I first um, became aware of what was going on in cannabis, what, what really interested me was that the components of cannabis, when you break it down, there's these right. cannabinoids, yeah. right? And there's over a hundred of them. And each of those hundred have been associated with different effects in different human conditions, right. whether it's sleep or anxiety or anti-cancer and so on. And when I saw this list, I thought, this is amazing that for the first time in over a hundred years, because it's been illegal, right. for the first time in over a hundred years, we're now actually going to be able to study cannabis in a way that it should be studied. Right. We, you know, we, we basically have this, this tool set that I've learned that has never been applied to cannabis. Right. So, it's, so it's this tool set of modern science, yeah. modern studies, modern genomics. Pharmaceutical grade. Pharmaceutical grade, high throughput screening, in silico testing, all these things that we just, you know, all the products we consume go right. through, right. but cannabis never did. So let's talk about the research in terms of, I mean, if, if, if licensed producers, for instance, I mean, they're going to be able to work with researchers. And much like yeah. we were talking about, Canada is in the unique ability to lead yeah. on this sector because it's going to be federally legal. So let's compare the U.S. and Canadian market and tell the audience a little bit as to the importance of the work that needs to be done here. Yeah, the, um, so, so how often does Canada get to lead the U.S.? Uh, or, or get to lead anything, quite frankly. Right. And, and so this is a unique opportunity for Canada to lead because it is, as you mentioned, l legal. Right. So in the U.S., if you're a researcher and you get your money from a federal government source and you do cannabis research, you're going to lose your federal government funding. Right. Right. But in Canada, that's not the case. So we're working with researchers at UBC, researchers at McGill. We're working with researchers in the Czech Republic. We're working with researchers pretty much everywhere except the U.S., interestingly, right, right, right. On, on, on really trying to look at how specifically do these different cannabinoids affect different con human conditions and right. studying them in a way that um, adults want to see the, the data and information presented and, and regulators want to see it and payers want to see it and governments want to see it. People really want to know yeah. um, what does cannabis do? And how should I use it with confidence so I can 
have a predictable result right. every time I use it. Right. You know, we, we all know if you have a glass of wine, you know what happens. If you have two glasses of wine, you know what happens. Yeah. Three, you know what happens. But with cannabis right now, you don't really know. So where are we in terms of evolution within the product based on uh, not only purity, but mm. also professional dosing? Because I think that yeah. that's the huge thing here within the yeah. science community is yeah. we're able to now go ahead and dose it correctly. Yeah, that's exactly right. So this is the low-hanging fruit. Right. So when I, when I, you know, you mentioned what got me interested in, in this industry. What got me interested was the potential to do good science and good things for people. Accurate dosing and, and product consistency and quality mm. is low-hanging fruit because it does not exist today. Right. So, you know, we, we grow these plants and from, you know, one person calls it um, this certain strain and another group calls it the same strain. They are totally different. Absolutely. And they're different not only between the two producers, but they're different every time they're consumed as well. So applying standardization of dosing and delivery makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's, it's one of the first things we're gonna do because if, if you wanna have confidence that when you take this, I'm going to have this result, the dosing needs to be right. Absolutely. The product consistency needs to be right. Right. And so that, that's, that's ground level entry. Doesn't, interestingly, it doesn't exist today, right. but that is exactly where we're headed. So as we destigmatize the industry and the product itself, we talk to consumers and, and some advocates where they say, listen, it's too scientific right now. Let's just get back to mother nature. Let's just put it in the soil. But really them together is what the future of the industry is because it's going to encourage the user to be able to use it for the correct reasons. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, science often has a way of um, alienating people because the words are complex. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about understanding what, what you're taking, where it came from, mm -hmm. what you're taking, what it is, and what you're taking, what outcome you're going to expect. And you should be able to expect the exact same thing every single time. Um, and so is that natural? Uh, I don't know, is that back to nature? I'm not sure. Right, right, uh, right. Is it scientific? It's certainly a scientific method. Is it confusing? Might be. Might be. Might be, yeah. but, but you know, that's, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna try, we're gonna use the scientific method and medical um, approaches, right, right. but we are going to try to make it understandable um, for the people who wish to consume it. So let's break down stigma within the scientific community and how it's adapted even in the past two years. Yeah, yeah, so stigma within the scientific community is an in interesting one because you know, theoretically scientists shouldn't care. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, this is, a, this is a, a chemical or a product and it shouldn't matter what it is. We right. should be able to study it. Right. But they do care because of the politics that are layered on top of it. Right. And so the politics have made it difficult for um, really good research to go on. Um, and that in turn um, stigmatizes it. Um, I, I think we will see a slow lowering of stigma as time goes on. Right. I, think, I think scientists will, the stigma will, will reduce. Within governments, the stigma will re, um, reduce. Within society, it will reduce. Because quite, quite frankly, it's not, you know, cannabis is not the stigmatized thing that, um, uh, governments for a long time have wanted us to believe. Right, right, right. Um, it, it, it is truly 
it's this sort of magical, wonderful plant that yeah. we need to pull apart and understand, Absolutely. but it is not anything that the devil brought yeah, or it is not is. something to be afraid of. This is something to embrace and do good things with right. and we can do that and we're going to do that. So as a licensed producer then, how do you conquer stigma based on public awareness and education? What's the approach there? Yeah, I, I think people need to be educated to understand um, um, the product. They need to be educated to understand whether it's right for them. Um, and, and, and so what, what we are doing is we're trying to provide uh, research and data mm. so they can feel comfortable with that information. Because most of the research and data that's out there today is not very well done. Right, right, right. Because of the stigma and the other things we've, of we've spoken of. It's yeah, been very we difficult. Really test it. We can't test it. Yeah. We, so it's difficult to do good research. So to, to, to do good research and to get people feeling comfortable, we need to um, do that research and communicate it right. to Clearly. people. And that will, and of course there's, you know, there's the, the, the marketing and the branding and the softer elements that go along with that. Which, which we will do as well. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really, it, it all comes from a foundation of this is very um, reliable, good product that's well studied, yeah. and now we can tell you about it. And you should feel comfortable about it because now we understand. Let's be future tellers for a second. Come July yeah. 2018, yeah. where do you see the industry going? What excites you the most about it? So it's... Um, Everything excites. It, it's July, incredible. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's. Um, how do you overstate right, um, right. how? Uh, it's a big social experiment. It's it's going to be incredible. There will be. Um, Can we keep up with supply? I th I think so. I think the bottleneck now is actually on the retail end of things. Right, I think the the licensed producers are. You know, we're we've got over a million square feet of. Um, wow. Of grow capacity and and more on hand if it should be required. So mm -hmm. we. You know, we can produce hundreds of thousands of kilos of cannabis, and so can some other licensed producers. Yeah. There's a couple of big ones um, like us. And so I, I don't think undersupply is going to be a problem, right. but I think that um, getting it into the hands of consumers who the distribution wish... Chain. Yeah, so, it, you know, depending on the province, there's different... Um, so it'll be bumpy. I don't think the wheels are going to fall off the bus. I don't think we're going to see mass chaos. I think it'll be... Um, yeah. It'll be fun and interesting. There's going to be all kinds of stories. It's exciting times. It's exciting. We're going to watch uh, and participate. It's, I love it. I, I can't predict what's going to happen except that it's going to be fun and exciting. Well, we got to get you on past that legalization date. Chris, yeah. thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. And Nick, chatting. Nikita, back to you. I really enjoyed that uh, conversation with Chris. He's got a really neat approach to the industry. Now, it's more scientific, of course, which basically means white gloves and white jackets. However, he wants to make it a little bit more simple than that. And we talk about dosing and how that's going to be a big one as we break down this product and start using particular parts for medicinal purposes. Also found that quite interesting conversation about stigma in the scientific community uh, it was fascinating. I mean, they're really, really breaking it down. And Chris had a good point. He said, why should it even matter? It's a medicine. It shouldn't matter to the pharmaceutical and scientific community what this is because it's a medicine. So great, great conversation there. All right, next up, Dr. Ian Mitchell. Now, Ian has been recognized nationally for his work on the subject of medical marijuana for quite some time. He also sits on the advisory team for Doctors for Responsible Access and just all around a really, really cool doctor who loves to research topics such as those that need more research. Hint, 
cannabis. So we talk a lot about driving under the influence of cannabis, a topic that many of us have questions about. Some, he maybe answers for you. So take a listen. Thanks, Nikita. I hope that you're having fun down there. Now, Dr. Ian Mitchell is joining us, and he is an ER doctor that has quite an extensive background into research, dealing with opioids. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about this whole uh, establishment of DUI, driving under the influence of possibly cannabis. First of all, give me a background of you and how you got started in the industry. Um, Well, I'm an emergency doctor up in Kamloops, and that's kind of my main occupation, but I'm involved in... uh, cannabis world as a provider for cannabis for patients at a cannabis clinic up there that I run with MCRCI. Yes. Um, and I'm also involved in research as far as doing a study that's uh, run out of UBC and right. sponsored by Tilray on PTSD and cannabis. So that's a bit of kind of the background. Yeah. The driving kind of comes in as far as intersection of these two worlds of emergency medicine and cannabis. Of course. Um, and uh, our hospital is one of the major trauma hospitals in British Columbia. So we see lots of trauma, and certainly we see lots of trauma associated with alcohol. Okay. Uh, but now the concern is really coming up with cannabis. You know, what's going to happen once it's rec- made recreationally legal? Right. And what's happening just as cannabis use is increasing in our society in general? Yeah. So you see a lot of trauma where you are associated with in Kamloops. Let's talk a little bit about that whole gray area. There's a lot of talk about cannabis and driving. Is it known? I mean, there's a lot of alcohol, but what's going on there? So we know that alcohol is out there and we have a very good idea of what alcohol does to people. The more alcohol you take in your body, the more impaired you are. And it's very simple. And that's why we can rely on breathalyzer tests to say, well, look, if you've got this amount of alcohol, you are too impaired to drive. And we tolerate a lower level of impairment, but we draw the line at 0.05 or 0.08, depending where you are in Canada, and saying, look, that's it. We don't allow impairment beyond that area. The problem with cannabis is it's not so straightforward. We don't have the science to say that a blood level correlates with impairment. In fact, we have very good scientific evidence that it does not correlate with impairment. Right. Okay, let's get into that scientific evidence of it not correlating because it's a a fascinating one for me. I think I was reading some of the statistics in one of the uh, articles that you published where alcohol can lead to a 200% rate of possible accident, uh, whereas cannabis is a different percentage that's much, much lower. Yeah, so this is the you know, everybody's worried that it's going to be carnage on the roads and it'll be just complete disaster. Scare tactic? It is very much a scare tactic. So a recent study out of France uh, looked at the issue of driving uh, with alcohol compared to cannabis. Okay. And what they found was that there was a 65% increase in the risk of accident with cannabis. And that sounds pretty bad, but we're talking about really small risks to begin with. You know, when you go out, your risk of being in an accident is only 1,000, 1 in 10,000. But even though that sounds bad, the comparison with alcohol, the increased risk was 1,600%. Oh my gosh, so compare... So your increased risk is 1.6 with cannabis, but 17. So it actually is 25 times worse as far as impairing than cannabis. So... With the research levels, I mean, we, we're not quite there. I mean, we just heard about a study from France. Are we moving forward with increased research in this space? Because a lot of people back home, as you said, they are scared of it. It's going to wreak havoc on the roads. Where are we in Canada? Um, we're actually awaiting the uh, results of a new study uh, coming out that's being carried out through Vancouver General. Dr. Brubaker has done a lot of work in this area. Okay. And our hospital has been participating in this research. And what it's about is looking at accidents and if people are culpable. You know, if uh, someone 
drives in a truck into you, that's not your fault. It doesn't matter what substances you're in. But if you go off the road on an empty road, that's probably your fault. So those are the actions we're really interested in. What role did the substances play there? So that's research that's coming out. But what we can say right now is that overall, even at worst, cannabis rarely gives people a higher level of intoxication than people with a 0.05 blood alcohol level. Wow, really? So we're just not talking that same yeah. level of impairment. Right, right, right. You just don't get up to that. Now, I'm not saying that can't happen. And there's people who, you know, of maybe course. they ate four brownies, they probably shouldn't be on the road. Of course, and of that's course. pretty sensible. But the typical consumer, the typical recreational consumer or medicinal consumer can pretty much understand that if they smoke a, a, a cannabis, for instance, or maybe ingest some of it, they're not going to get to the level of impairment that alcohol is. And that's typically what people are thinking is going to happen. So that doesn't mean it's okay and off you should go and drive on the road after taking a couple puffs. But pot consumers are much more able to gauge their impairment. Uh, they do tend to drive slower. Okay. Um, and uh, they kind of are able to gauge their own impairment. Whereas for alcohol, it tends to be the, the reverse, that people don't have judgment about their driving and they tend to drive more erratically. So we've covered a little bit of the research and where we are in a Canadian market of that. Have you seen any type of product or technology out there that may be able to provide a road test for police officers? I mean, a lot of the police uh, departments out there are launching this anti-campaign, right? We're hearing about it in, yeah. all in the States, especially too. Where are we with that? Are we there? Well, we're not. And right, right now, they've, they're still looking at breathalyzer technology, and this is going to fail miserably. It's never going to stand yeah. up to any court scrutiny because what we know very clearly is that the level of, of THC in your blood doesn't correlate with impairment. Hmm. So you're never going to be able to square that with the courts. And it unfairly fairly penalizes people who might be chronic medical users and will always have a blood level right. that would preclude them from driving. Right. So really, we need to move into tests that don't test for blood levels, a test for impairment. Okay. And that's really the critical difference. So that's what the drug recognition experts do when they get out and have people uh, walk the line and touch their nose, that kind of thing. But that's super expensive and intensive and there's not that many experts around. So we need to move to that next level with technology to find an app, to find, uh, you know, there's a university in America that's looking at some kind of helmet device that would read your brain waves and measure impairment. But we need to move beyond blood levels. So say if you had, and this is a hypothetical one, I'm just going to throw it at you. Say if you had a child out there, or not a child because they would be of age, obviously, maybe. Let's hypothetically say somebody over 25 years old and they were a loved one of yours. Would you advise against driving under the influence of medical can or of cannabis? Yeah, I think you have to give that information as the, the main recommendation. Yeah. You know, Generally, for study purposes, we recommend that people don't drive for at least three hours after consuming, particularly if they're feeling high. Now, that's the same information I would give to somebody if I was starting them on morphine for a pain right, condition. Right, right. That, but I wouldn't expect that a week or two weeks down the line that they would still not drive. If they're still taking morphine, we would expect they'd get used to it, they would be able to gauge the effect, and they would adjust their driving accordingly. And that's what people need to do with cannabis as well. You have to take responsibility but also appreciate that it's nowhere near as impairing as alcohol. And so that people shouldn't be that concerned that it's going to be a disaster on the streets. So in terms of uh, you know driving under the influence of cannabis, where do you think we're going to be in the next, let's say a year with legalization coming up in July? So I think we're gonna be moving away from breathalyzers. I hope that we'll have passed that point and moving on to better technology. 
Um, there's an app called Druid, okay. uh, which people can download on their cell phone or their iPhone. Now you were talking about that before. Yeah. It's, 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 some, whatever, it's almost like a field sobriety test in an app. It's a field sobriety test in an app. Basically, it, it gets you to do some balancing tests and move the device around. Wow. And based on that, it, can, it can't tell you that it, you're safe to drive, right. but it can tell you that you're unsafe to drive. Yeah. And so even that is going to be helpful for people, and that's applicable for alcohol and cannabis. So the message of the story is alcohol and cannabis while driving is very much different, and we shouldn't do either, but we aren't... We shouldn't also be that scared of all of this, uh, this, this rhetoric that we're hearing. Doctor, thank you for your time today. I My pleasure. That. A big thanks to Chris Walker and Dr. Ian Mitchell. I'm looking forward to speaking with both of them a little bit more as we approach Canada's legalization date. Also, if you missed these interviews, they aired on THC Live. You can find that on their Facebook. That is a show that we partnered with during Lyft Conference. And if you have any questions about the show, email us, thegreenscenepodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at greenscenepod. We're getting lots of content up there, including some really good business tips. We have some analysts coming on. Be sure to follow along, and we will see you here next week. Thanks for joining us on TGSP this week. We hope you like the show. Don't forget to go to our website, www.thegreenscenepodcast.com, subscribe to us, and rate our podcast. We'll catch you next week.